So this is God's word, Exodus 20, 1 through 12. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then I'll read quickly from James chapter 1, verse 25. This is our theme verse for this series. James 1, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for these commandments, which are truly a a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, these words are the law of perfect freedom. We know, Lord God, that we fail in many ways of keeping these commandments. And yet we thank you that you are gracious, that you have not given us what we deserve, but that you have given us what only your son Jesus deserves blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and power from on high. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the first thing you think about when I say the word family? Do you think of the royal family? Do you think about the Partridge family? Do you think about the Manson family? I hope you don't think about the Manson family. Bad family. Do you have happy thoughts about your family? Do you have good memories of family vacations and fishing trips and grandma and grandpa and Thanksgiving dinners and ice cream and cookies and family worship? Or do you have unhappy memories about your family? Do you think about fighting and arguing? Do you think about dissension? Do you think about divorce? Do you think about 
loss and regret and visions of the family that you could have had but didn't? Did you grow up in a dysfunctional family? Or did you grow up in a functional family? Is there such a thing as a a semi-functional family? (laughs) A family that seems to work most of the time. What is a family? Is a family anything that we want it to be? Or is a family everything that God tells us it should be? Is the church a family? Is our church a church family? We sometimes speak that way. We speak about the people sitting next to us as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We talk about the older people in the congregation as our spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. Is that, is that right? Some have said that it takes a village to raise a child. Is that true? Or does it take a church to raise a child? Are we part of God's family? How do we become part of God's family? If Jesus is referred to as God's only begotten son, then how do we become sons and daughters of the Most High God? And, rounding out this introduction, how hard is it for me to preach this sermon in front of my own family? Some of you know that every week, three generations of the Trike family are present in this worship service. My mom and dad are here most of the time. Kate is here, my wife, my kids, Lily and Jack are here. They know more than anyone else, those five people, six, including me, how often I break these commandments, including and especially the fifth commandment, which is all about how to do family the right way in the kingdom of God. The question for all of us is, can broken families heal? Is there hope for disobedient children of all ages? Is there hope for dishonorable parents? Is there hope for the world? Is there hope for the church? These are some of the questions we'll try to answer this morning as we approach the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is a relatively short, uh, fairly straightforward commandment about how families should work in the kingdom of God. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what does that mean? How do we as children honor our parents? How do we as parents honor God by parenting in an honorable way? If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We're going to see five things from this commandment, five things that we can apply not only to us as individuals, but also to our culture at large. The first thing that we'll see is that this commandment speaks a word about our nature. The second thing we'll see is that this commandment speaks a word about our culture. The third thing we'll see is that this commandment speaks a word about our children. The fourth thing is that this commandment speaks a word about our parents. And finally, most significant of all, this commandment speaks a word about about Jesus. So those are the five things. We'll work through them this morning. A word about nature, a word about culture, 
a word to children, a word to parents, and last but not least, a word about Jesus and how we can become part of the family of God. How do we honor God in our families? How does God honor us by making us a part of his family, the family of faith? Let's take a closer look. We begin with a word about nature. What does this commandment teach us about human nature? Well, this commandment teaches us that we don't naturally honor our parents. We don't naturally honor our moms and our dads. That's why the commandment exists. If we did that naturally, there would be no need for the commandment. Nowhere in Scripture does God instruct us to eat food or to drink water or to get some sleep because we do those things naturally. They're part of the human condition. But in this commandment, we're specifically told that we are to honor our father and our mother. This commandment exists because we are, by nature, rebellious. By nature, we resist human authority. First, we start out by resisting divine authority. That's what the very first commandment is about. We resist human authority in the form of parental authority. That's what this commandment is about. But it doesn't stop there. Because of our sinful human nature, we resist all authority. We rebel against God. We rebel against our parents. We rebel against our pastors and our teachers and policemen. No matter who it is that is in authority over us, our natural default response is, you are not the boss of me. Anyone ever heard your kids say that? Did anyone say that when you were a kid? You are not the boss of me. Where does that come from? Why do we do that? Well, the answer takes us all the way back to our first parents, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. According to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, there's something broken inside of us. The Bible calls it sin, which is rooted in mankind's first act of rebellion, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against their heavenly father, we have been rebelling against our earthly fathers and our earthly mothers. It's part of our our spiritual DNA, an ugly, unwanted inheritance passed down for thousands and thousands of generations, which is why you will see your sweet little cherubic child this child that you love and have raised and have provided everything for look at you in the eye and say no no i will not eat my vegetables no i will not clean my room no i will not change clothes no i will not take a bath Now, as we get older, dishonoring our parents looks a little bit different. For adolescents, it often looks like disrespect. For grown people, it often looks like neglecting our parents in their old age. But it all comes from the same root, which is our sinful human nature. Now, that's the bad news. 
And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's important that we understand just how deep the problem goes because unless and until we understand how deep the problem goes, we'll never understand how astonishing God's solution is. God's solution is not, well, you know, try harder and do more. God's solution is, I'm going to take your sinful, stony heart I'm going to rip it out of your chest, and I'm going to give you a new heart. A heart that seeks to honor me. A a heart that seeks to honor your parents. A heart that loves and serves and grows and radiates the love of God in a world that is in such desperate need of the love of God. God changes us from the inside out, which is exactly what he needs to do in order for us to keep the commandment the good news is that he can and he will change us because he is our father he's the perfect father who wants to bless his children that's the first big idea a word about our nature we sin because we're sinners we rebel because we're rebels the second thing we hear in this commandment is a word to our culture. This commandment prompts us to ask the question, what is a family? What is God's design for the family? Do you have to be married to be in a family? What if two people simply love each other and they move in together and they start having children together and they start buying houses together, but they're not actually married to one another? Is that a family? What if you have, uh, you have no children? Do you have to have children to be a family? Sometimes we speak that way, don't we? Sometimes a young married couple will come to us and they'll say, oh, great news, we're having a baby. And we'll say, oh, that's wonderful. You're finally starting your family. Is that right? Were they not a family before they started to have children? With or without children, with or without a wedding, can two men who love each other be a family? Can two women who love each other be a family? Can one man and two women, or or two women and one man? The point of this question is to uncover the unspoken assumption of our culture that a marriage and a family is really anything that we want it to be. Now, that's problematic because if family is anything at all, then family is nothing at all. If you erase the definition, you erase the institution. If family is, for example, me and my three roommates from college living in an apartment, occasionally sharing the pasta sauce with each other, then functionally, family has lost all meaning. So, what is it? What is this thing that God has designed that we call family? Well, here's my best shot at at a simple biblical definition of family. A family becomes a family when two people, one man and one woman, enter into a covenant relationship with each other, the covenant of marriage. A family then grows when children are brought into that covenant relationship, either through birth or through adoption. In other words, 
you can't have a family without a covenant. You can't have a family without a commitment. You can't have a family until you burn the ships. Until you say, there's no going back. We're committed to this. We're committed to God. We're committed to one another. We're, and if God brings us children someday, whether through a birth or through adoption, then they become part of this family too. And they're part of the covenant. In our marriage vows, we say that we are united as one in, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. No refunds, no exchanges, uh, no redos. We're in this for life. You don't have a family until you've given up your me and you've replaced it with we. That's a family. Now, divorce can certainly alter that. Death can certainly alter that. But as long as you have at least two people, either two spouses, a husband or a wife, or maybe one child and one parent, or maybe uh, one grandparent with a grandchild or an aunt or uncle raising a niece or a nephew, and those two people are in a covenant relationship with one another, a burn the ships, ride or die, forever and ever, amen, relationship of love and learning and growing and discipling, then that, according to God, is a family. Now, given that criteria, does it make sense why we sometimes speak of the church as the family of faith or the family of God? You see, we have, we have more than one person, two people at least, Hopefully more than two, unless you really like small churches. So you got like one or two people at least, or maybe a couple hundred people, all of whom are committed to one another. All of whom are in covenant relationship with one another. All of whom who say, I will be faithful to you. I will teach you, and I will learn from you, and I will serve you, and I will love you. And we affirm those covenant commitments with vows that we make before God and other people. We stand up, we have membership vows, which are our covenant promises to be united to one another as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the faith in a covenant relationship. That's what makes a church more than simply a gathering of individuals. That's what makes the church a family. Now, this is so important because if we redefine or reject God's design for families, our whole society breaks down because families are the building blocks of society. Behind almost every negative outcome or negative statistic that you can ever read, whether it's literacy rates or incarceration rates or suicidality or drug addiction or you name the problem, Behind almost every problem, you will find the breakdown of the family. This is a big deal. Joy Davidman, who was married, for CS, to, married to C.S. Lewis, writes this in her very helpful book on the Ten Commandments. She writes, A society that destroys the family destroys itself. This is a word of warning to us, and it's a word of warning to our culture. If we disregard the fifth commandment, if we 
disregard God's design for family if we redefine it into something that God had never envisioned or never, never decided that he wanted it to be, then essentially what we're doing is we're pulling the plug on our own life support machine. We're committing cultural suicide by rejecting what God has designed for the purpose of the family. And we come apart at the seams. Family is very, very important. This is a word to all of us and a word to our culture. Now, the third thing we hear in this commandment is a word to our children. In the commandment, God says, honor your father and your mother. The word honor comes from a Hebrew word which means weighty or holy. It's the word kavod. You can almost hear it in the word. It's one of those words that sounds like what it means. Kavod. We honor our parents by not treating them lightly. We honor our parents by saying, you matter. You see that word matter is right in there? You matter. You have significance. You have importance. Now, how do we do that? How do we honor them and keep this commandment? Well, if you're a young child, if you're a toddler or an elementary schooler, then the answer is obedience. You honor your, mother, your father and your mother by obeying them, by doing what they say. We used to say in our family, all the way, right away, happy heart, not reluctantly, not saying, oh, goodness, you know, but just obeying what your mom and dad say because this is right. In, the, in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is writing about this commandment to the children of his church and he's in, in Ephesus, and he points out that the first command, that this is commandment, the fifth commandment, is the first commandment with a promise. If you keep this commandment, little children, obeying your parents, then you will live a good life. If you keep this commandment, you will live a full life. Not necessarily a long life in terms of years, but a life that is kavod. A life that is heavy. A life that is heroic. A life that matters because it's honorable. Little children, you can honor your parents by obeying them. And when you do, God will bless you. Now what about adolescents? What about the, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and our college students and people who are 25 and still living at home, and people who are 27 and still on their mom and dad's health insurance, how can you uh, honor your mom and dad? Well, then honor looks like making, for those folks, is about making positive contributions to your family. You're no longer simply reacting to what your parents say. You're actively seeking to bring your talents and your energies and your joy and your creativity to bear on your family in order to make it a more beautiful family, a family that honors God. As adolescents, you can honor your parents by doing your homework without being asked. You can honor your parents by feeding the dogs, even though the dog food kind of smells gross and nobody wants to do that job. You can honor your parents by keeping your room clean. There's so many ways that you can honor your moms and your, and your dads. The point is you're moving from reaction to positive action. 
Now finally, if you are an adult child, you're no longer required to obey your parents. You have a family of your own, but you are required to respect them. That looks different in every family, but it might look like a phone call. It might look like a family dinner. It might look like praying with them and praying for them. Now, I realize that for some of you, this is going to be very, very difficult. I recognize that some of you come from very contentious families, families that are not functional at all, families where your parents were not honorable, where they sinned against you, where they were abusive to you or harsh with you. If that's you, then this is going to be one of the greatest challenges that you have in keeping the Ten Commandments by saying, how do I honor this dishonorable person? How do I honor this person who was not there for me? How do I honor this person who was harsh and angry and difficult with this person who seemingly wants no relationship with me at all? There are no easy answers to this, but my suggestion is this. Maybe, just maybe, honor to your parents begins by forgiving your parents. Again, not, not letting them off the hook, not excusing what they did, not justifying them, but simply forgiving them. Many years ago, I read a book by Professor Harvey Kahn. Harvey Kahn was a missionary in Korea, South Korea, and he wrote a book about evangelism and the heart of evangelism, and he made a very helpful observation, something that I've taken with me for years and years, and it's this, that all people are both sinners and sinned against. All people are sinners and, bo- and sinned against. Now, when we think of people only as sinners, then it becomes very difficult to forgive them. We see their sin front and center, and we say, why should I forgive this person? Look at all the sin that they've committed against me. But if we think of people as also sinned against, then it also softens our heart just enough that forgiveness can creep through. Have you ever thought about what your parents' childhood was like? Have you ever thought about how their parents treated them? Again, that's not to excuse sin at all, but I've found that that seeing people only as sinners makes it very, very difficult to forgive them. Seeing them as people who've been sinned against helps. No one modeled this better than Jesus. When he was dying on the cross, he said, from the cross, referring to the people who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, they've been deceived. This isn't pure malice. This is malice that has been fueled by ignorance. Maybe your parents were completely clueless to the way that their behavior affected you. Maybe they were so damaged that they were acting out of ignorance and not simply malice. Maybe it's time to simply let go and give it over to God and say, I forgive. In any case, your calling as a child, however old you are, whether you're a little kid, adolescent, adult, is to honor your mother and your father. Not necessarily because 
They deserve it, though it is easier if they do. But because this is the path of perfect freedom, this is God's design for families. The fourth thing we hear in this commandment is a word to parents. Now, parents, your specific role in this commandment is to receive the honor. But it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul uh, finishes talking to the children about this commandment, he immediately goes with a word to parents, specifically a word to fathers. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Parents, you can help your children keep this commandment. You can help your children honor you by being honorable people. Don't provoke your children to anger by being an authoritarian or a dictator, by saying, do what I say because I said it, the end. Don't provoke your children to anger by making unreasonable demands by demanding perfection, by demanding straight A's, by demanding you be the starter on the basketball team, nothing less than success. Parents, you can help your children honor you by teaching them and discipling them. Andy Andrews once said that the goal of raising children is not actually to raise good children. The goal of raising children is is to raise good adults. It's to love them and serve them and disciple them and show them the beauty of holiness so that when they grow up, they have an earnest desire to follow Jesus. Now, there's an old saying that says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And that's true in parenting too. You cannot force your child to drink the living water. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You cannot manipulate them or shame them or pressure them into believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not your role. But you can lead them to the living water that they have every opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then, just like when you taught your kids to ride a bike, you let go of the seat. That was the hardest thing for me to do as a dad, let go of the seat. You're running along, you grab a hold of the seat, and you're running along behind that bike, and you don't want to let go because you know that once you let go, they're probably going to fall. And they do. But until you let go of the seat, Your kids can never experience the joy and the exhilaration, that wind through the hair, that speed, that independence that comes from learning to do things on their own. When your kids fall, be there to pick them up. But parents, let me encourage you. Let go. Give their lives to God. They belong to God first before they belong to you. And then love them and serve them, and be honorable so they might honor God and you and experience all the blessings of keeping this commandment. Well, the fifth thing we hear, last thing, and most important thing, is a word about Jesus. Now, we started off the sermon with bad news about human nature. The bad news is 
We are rebels. Bad news is we have problems with authority. It's kind of baked into the cake of human nature. We're born with a problem with those in in authority over us. As kids, we do not naturally honor our parents. As parents, we do not naturally parent in an honorable way. We're all guilty of breaking the fifth commandment. The good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have a perfect heavenly father. He's a wise father. He is a loving father. As we'll sing in the last song, he is a good, good father. As the Apostles' Creed says, he is God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. God the Father loved his wayward children so much that he sent his one and only son, his perfect son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that all of his wayward children, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, might be adopted into his covenant family, the family of God. The beauty of that good news is that we do not need to earn a place in that family. Inclusion in that family, adoption in in that family, is a gift of God's grace. All we need to do is repent and believe the gospel All we need to do is acknowledge all the many ways that we have broken this commandment and turn to the Son of God saying, Father, please forgive me for his sake, for the sake of Jesus, who always honored his Father, who lived the perfect life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. In John chapter 1 John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, the disciple that Jesus loved, wrote this. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the Father of all who believe in Jesus, who honored his heavenly Father by taking all of our rebellion and all of our sin and nailing it to the cross, enabling us to grow, enabling us to change, enabling us to honor our parents in our families. No matter how functional or dysfunctional your earthly family is, the good news of the gospel is that you have a heavenly family through Jesus. You have a perfect family, the family of God. If you are part of that family, God will honor you. Your days will be long. Your days will be eternal in the household of God your Father through Jesus Christ in the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you've made us part of your family, the family of faith. We acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge our failures. We acknowledge the many, many ways in which we have distorted family life uh, in, in our decisions and our actions every day. Lord, we, 
We are quick to throw stones at those outside of the church. But in many ways, we're no different in the ways that we have distorted this beautiful thing that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would change us. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our families, that they might be a source of joy and delight, not only for us as individuals, but for our church family, for our city, and even the world. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.